You're listening to The Network's podcast, where we talk all things marketing and digital. Hi, I'm Jodie Parker, and I'm part of the team who runs Network's events. Normally, each episode is a live recording of a past panel discussion, but in these COVID-19 times, we've been doing the events virtually. I still think that the magic of Networks is being in the room, and hopefully we can go back to doing that soon. But in the meantime, if you like what you hear, visit networksevents.com.au. This episode is all about the connected consumer. Hope you enjoy. Uh, Introducing our panellists for this evening. First up, we have Kath, the campaign manager of Vision 6. Welcome, Kath. It's usually around applause at this point, so I'll just do it. (laughs) Next up, we have Peter Pinter. Peter is the CEO, APAC, of NeuroInsight. Welcome, Peter. Thank you, Liam, everyone. Nice to be with you. Thank you, panellists, for the applause, Kath. <laughs> and lastly, we have Kelly Jamieson. Kelly is the Managing Director and Co-Founder of Edible Blooms. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you for having me and apologies in advance for my husky voice today. I'll do my best. <laughs> Not a problem. Well, look, guys, uh, we've got a few things to cover tonight. Um, I think it's just worth pointing out um, some stats to, to kick us off and give us a bit of context uh, currently, that 94% of global internet users own a smartphone, which is a very high uh, percentage. Uh, so we'll be asking what are those consumers doing? Uh, the IAB has claims that the time that we're spending online has risen 40% within one year. Uh, those stats in terms of what's been happening since lockdown have only increased. People are watching more TV and spending more time online. Whether those can, whether those trends will continue afterwards, that's what we'll be looking at as well. Uh, and what marketers should be doing to perhaps change their approach. Um, what are the lasting impacts of COVID-19? So kicking us off this evening, um, Let's have a look at uh, connected Australian consumers. What were they like pre-COVID compared to the rest of the world? Uh, Peter, perhaps I can start with you. Yeah, no problems. Well, like and I actually, I might just build on the on the quotes that you're raising from the IAB. That they, they they tend to be our sort of go-to um, resource too, as well. And um, whether you want to compare Australia to the rest of the world, um, there's various quotes about whether we're ahead or behind Britain or the US in terms of connectedness. I think we're pretty much up there. Yeah, but the IAB, um, and I think even if you've read the press lately, um, some of our retailers have had a fantastic May. Um, so it's been wild um, in terms of, um, you know, their trade going down in April, but then springing straight back up in, in May. And it, that, that I think, is due to their connectedness. Like, they, they have a, a lot of them have had a very, very strong online presence. Um, so what is it, 44% per the AIB year on year in, in sort of mass retail online presence? Mm-hmm. And a massive, um, I think, home and garden, about 55, sort of 60% spike um, through. So, yeah, so it seems like anyone that was um, prepared and already connected, um, you know, the, the isolation and perhaps the JobKeeper funds have just just really um, had spiked a lot of that activity, it would Thank seem, you. yeah. Kelly, have you noticed anything within your business? Um, We've had quite a ride as well. I think that to call it a ride through COVID is probably the most accurate thing. Um, We didn't miss a beat at the start of COVID. I was sort of preparing for lockdown and um, um, we very quickly saw an uptake. So we didn't have a lull before the boom in our business because we were online. Um, And um, and I think that's because we were prepared um, for that kind of period, I guess, being an online business. Um, So I think um, there's been... I describe the economy at the moment as hot or cold. There's not much middle ground. So you're either business that boomed 
or you really slow down. So they didn't. I, I haven't come across any other business owner through COVID that's stayed the same. So um, fortunately, as a company that connects people, um, we were very busy during COVID. And what are the some of the behaviours that you've seen um, start to change since lockdown? Um, what what have you seen ha- happening? Um, I, I probably won't want to get into too much detail, but um, I've really seen um, consumers change their sentiment around um, being really aware of environmental factors. So they're really aware of waste. I think that's something where we've seen the amazing impact of the uh, positivity for the environment through COVID. So I think as consumers, we've all been more aware of that, which I think has been fantastic. Um, And I think that consumers are making more purpose-driven decisions, which I love. So um, I think there is a real shift in consumer behaviour and um, I'm really excited to see where this journey is going to take us. Kath, what have you seen during this time since lockdown? Um, personally, we've noticed, and I think some people have noticed as well, that the customer's path to purchase have been longer. Um, you know, in ISO, when people are stay, uh, forced to stay inside, they consume about 60% more content than usual. So brands have picked up on this. So there's a large push to get more content out. Um, and I think with that, consumers have been trained to sort of curate their own content. So if they, um, for example, they listen in or lean in if they're interested and they lean out if they don't. So which makes our jobs as marketers a bit harder as well. So I think um, it's an opportunity for marketers to ask why customers should care about the messaging that's being put out there. Um, And if you can't answer that question, you probably have to tweak your strategy. Yeah, fair enough. Is Peter, is there anything that you've seen? Uh, yeah, since- I, I have a bit of a theory. Um, I don't know if I've, I usually like to base, base it on data, so please forgive me for it's a bit more opinionated. Um, but, you know, uh, and this goes back to what I saw in the GFC as well. Um, trends that were slowly happening or maybe, um, say, if you, if you take readership, for example, through the, through the 2000s, it was slowly eroding away. And it seems like these big events, um, which uh, have us on a roller coaster ride, as you say, Kelly, um, um, almost accelerate that sort of inevitable outcome. So now we're looking at if you were if you if you were very well prepared as a business online, then it was like twelve years to become an overnight success, wasn't it? Through the through the COVID type of thing. So because all that hard work was already in place. Um, you, you benefited on the upswing. Conversely, you've got retail chains like Target, which were earmarked as problematic for the last 12 to 24 months, you know, being forced to make a call all of a sudden. So to me, it's a point where most things that were going to happen under their normal um, inertia have been accelerated enormously. So that brings on change. And as you say, Kelly, um, that that change could be as good as it is bad, you know, and um and a and a, a rejuvenated appreciation for, you know, maybe simpler things, a bit of self reflection, um, thinking about your own mental health and the environment and um being conservative and not wasteful, you know, so uh, it, it tends to accelerate what was probably going to happen, um, but in a very very concentrated period of time, yeah. That catalyst effect, I think, has been seen across many different industries as well. Sure. Um, Kath, what would you say in terms of uh, marketers and how they've been impacted? Um, Well, 
For our business, we have a B2B base of agencies and internal marketers. Um, so how we're doing is kind of reflective of how everyone else is doing. So we felt a mix of both negative and positive. So we're getting new trials, um, people who are using our product, but then we also saw an increase in hibernations. So people in industries who are heavily impacted by the virus, they've sort of paused their subscriptions with us. And also we saw an increase in churn in customers as well. Um, and because our audience is fairly broad, we'd had to be really targeted with our strategy and how we adjust our engagement with um, these industries based on how they're impacted um, with the virus. So um, I do have a slide for this because I kind of wanted to share the framework we are using to find um, which channels we should be or which industries we should be channeling all our, our marketing efforts with. So um, we... With, the, with a bit of research, we found Australian industries who were um, hiring, which means they are scaling. Um, and there's industries who are retracting, means they are probably reducing their marketing spend. Um, so they probably are not the best industries to engage at the moment. And there's one who are maintaining. So they're conservative with their budget, but their campaigns um, that they have planned are going ahead. So what we did is we segmented our um, current customers first by industry, um, and then we match it up with the industries on the scale category. And then we um, we segmented it by account to find those that fit our ideal customer. And then we, we basically send out a survey to these customers in each industry to find out what their pain points are, um, what they're struggling with at the moment, um, and their current marketing goals and how it's changed. Um, and what we did is we uh, started a campaign to target similar audiences on Google Ads, LinkedIn, Facebook, and we found a way to package our products um, in a way that would be most useful to them. So, um, And likewise, if we're already targeting these industries, we made sure that we revisited those campaigns and ensuring that um, the focus was solving their pain points and um, focusing our ad copy into solving what the jobs they're trying to do are in this pandemic. And um, I've seen this strategy applied by both agencies and brands. So to us, it was um, really successful. We're getting, we're getting, I think maybe fewer trials now, but um, the rate for conversion rate for these ones and the close rate for these trials to upgrades um, are much higher. So that tells us the people that we're targeting are further along in the decision-making process. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a good strategy and something that everyone I think in the audience can apply as well. That's a great from a B2B perspective. Kelly, perhaps you can talk to us a little bit about um, how you think it's impacted marketers in the consumer space. Um, I think that one of the great things that's um, impacted marketers is partnerships. And um, I think um, we're all seeing collaborations between brands working really well, where you find like-minded audiences that are buying, um, you know, would like to buy both products. There's some great collaborations. So we've done some great things on socials. But um, my favourite um, collaboration um, that came about through COVID was, which I've highlighted on the slide here, um, was really um, highlighting Australian regional producers in our products. And it came about in the first week of COVID, um, a friend of mine who is the most amazing cheese producer, um, she'd lost half of her business because it was all food service. And um, I um, tried to think about how we could help her. And so we said, well, let's do a cheese and wine hamper. And 
um, it was really about partnering with a whole group of Barossa producers. And the Barossa was a region here in South Australia that was really hard hit by COVID. So it was in lockdown very early um, and it relies on a lot of tourism. So we were able to get the food producers out to our national customer database. And, um, and really what that did for us is we had a strategic plan this year and Peter's comment earlier about speeding things up we were going to launch hampers in six months' time, but we saw that window and so we jumped on it and we executed it and it went really well. So I think, again, it had some form of planning, but it was just seeing that opportunity and and the emphasis. It was really a deliberate um, purpose decision. So it was about how can we help other people in this tough period and consumers responded really well to that, I think, it, because it was a positive thing to be part of. So. Um, and it's still doing really well, which is great. So, I mean, cheese and wine, what's not to love? I know, exactly. <laughs> and um, and we're now working with the Margaret River region. We're putting a, um, a product together for that region and we're really wanting to target great regions around Australia now. So it's really spurred on a, an exciting project that our team love. Yeah, um, I can imagine. Doing really well. I can imagine all networks attendees <laughs> interested in that package. How would you say consumers are feeling now? Um, we're, what are we, uh, maybe 12 weeks since lockdown, uh, 10, 11. Uh, how do you think the, the confidence has changed? Um, if I, I'll, I'll continue with that. I think um, consumers are being really mindful in their decisions and considerate. Um, I think um, we're all thinking about different things than we thought of before COVID. COVID was something that nobody could predict. And so um, I think um, that's really changed things. And actually, it leads on to my next slide. I can see that's popped up. So, um, and I'm going to give credit to Dean, who's one of my team members who's in the audience today. This was his um, baby. And it's um, something that team, again, have really loved being part of. And it was during COVID, we wanted to create positivity because there was a lot of, especially in that very early stage, it was frightening, it was scary, no one knew what was going to happen. And we said our job as Edible Blooms is to spread joy. So Dean came up with Smile Bandits and that's where we asked our customers to nominate people who were having a tough time and we sent out free Edible Blooms to brighten their day, create a special moment of appreciation and we've continued that. And um, I think... A couple of things have come out of that that we never expected. One was that Facebook used our approach to COVID as an example of an Australian brand doing great things during COVID, which was pretty awesome. So that was part of a global Facebook campaign that they did. Um, and also uh, we had recently and during we've um, been working with Glam Corner, so another brand collaboration, they came to us and they said, we love the concept. Can we help you roll this out to our customer base? So we did a collaboration with them. So... Um, Again, it all comes back to doing things with a purpose and doing them for the right reason. Are there, any, Sorry. Are there any learnings that you've got from the, the Facebook um, campaign that you did? Um, well, we were just part, we were sort of used as a bit of a case study in that instance of a brand having a positive impact during COVID. Um, so there were a whole series of different brands. I can't think of those off the top of my head because there were quite a few around the world. And some of them were big, actually, to be honest, they were all big brands. They were brands like Nike and things like that. And then there was Edible Blooms in there, which was kind of cool for us. Um, so, um, but I think, um, I think the really big learning for our team out of these initiatives, both of those highlight those case studies I've just given, we did those because we wanted to do something great. It wasn't a profit decision. It wasn't a, um, a typical, you know, 
business decision. It was we want to do a good thing and they've both created great things for our business and we employed nearly 50 people in Australia and the UK. We added 50 more people to our team during that period. So, um, yeah, and a lot of them have gone back to their old jobs now. So we've probably, but we've still got about 20 to 30 of those people still in our team today because our business is bigger post-COVID than it was before. Fantastic. Well, look, we've talked about kind of how things have been impacted by COVID. Maybe looking a little bit, um, taking a step back now, um, how do you think context affects marketing, Peter? I know you've done a bit of research in this area. Yeah, I guess so. And actually, before I move on, that, that you know, you can't help but think, um, Kelly, congrats on, on what you achieved over that period, like, you know, Nike, Edible Blooms, hey, you know, up there with the best. Um, but, you know, that, that, um, that or, or authenticity sounds, you know, yeah, like it'll, it'll always work probably more now than ever, you know, and, um, and that by Australian, I think that could be here to stay. Just, just, um, answering a bit of an old question there, Liam, but, um, you know, yeah, um, I guess COVID has dropped a, a huge context on on a lot of things that we're talking about here, how we feel and how marketers appropriately connect or, or advertise. Um, yeah, this is probably one of my most favourite sort of topics. We do um, quite a lot of work um, in, the, in the context space. I think we all intuitively believe it's there, it's real, but it's very, very hard to actually define and actually um, put... Um, a name or a number on. I, I might just go to one of the slides that the guys have, have, have prepared. Um, what you might uh, there, there, there's a few ways to actually measure context, and I think this is um, fascinating and potentially what what our um, audience today can um, you know sort of reflect on. If you think of the brain um, and what we do in terms of sort of measuring neuroactivity, um, you, we've all heard of the left brain and the right brain, so. You can you can assume that what we do um, with what we call the left brain is what we call sort of detailed when it comes to how people process advertising content. Um, and then on the other hand, on the right brain, you've got what we call global, and that's how they process advertising content and media content as well. So on the right side, global, very big picture, to taking in the whole of the creative, maybe logos, themes, music, emotions, that type of thing. On the left side of the brain, you've got like details following the message following the offers you know get in now for end of june 30 savings all that type of thing so you know um and that's one of the ways that we've seen um various screens actually dictate what we call a neurostate and it's a way to actually measure context what you're looking at here is um you got you got the red data on the left and the blue data on the right um, and it basically, the important thing here is that what it is, it's the same media content and the same advertising content. But when you look at it by screen, TV, laptop, mobile, and so forth, you can see that the state changes as a function of the context that you're looking at that advertising in. So it leads you to believe that context is a very, very real thing. And so if your ad is the same, but the way you're processing it is very different as as governed by the context, then the natural conclusion is is to say that your your message and your advertising should actually try and match the context in which it's in, which means that there's no two impacts that are ever made the same. Even though you've got like a 15-second ad here, which is audio-visually linear, on TV it would be very detail-biased, but on another smaller screen, say a mobile, it'll be more globally biased. So that's um that's how we've actually tackled and actually measured and helped explain to the marketers how context is alive and well 
and being aware of it all the time with um with comms and the way you tune your comms is just so important. So the next slide is a, is a is another slightly related um way to actually look look at um a, a COVID study we did here with the IAB. We 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 actually can put terms on on a media content. We can say is it connected? Is it trustworthy? Is it um is it timely? Is it quality? Those type of things. And so on the next slide, you can see it might be a bit small. There you go. Um, what we found online in terms of COVID hard news. So this was hard news in terms of the facts, the figures, pretty, pretty confronting stuff in the middle of COVID. And, and the overriding context that, that viewers and browsers took out of that environment was timeliness. Like, you know, it was very, very here and now. So just on, on that, Peter, I've just yeah. had a question come in. Um, and it's asking, has the time of day that people are online, has that changed things during COVID? Ah, oh, that's a good question. I would say it would have to. I, I know that we were talking about like how time of day is actually one of these layers of the onion around context. And so time of day, you would have to imagine. I'm, I'm a bit hesitant because I haven't seen exact data or this type of data by time of day. We've got other data that says that time of day has a huge impact. Yeah. So yeah. I would imagine the answer is yes. I've seen um, statistics around people spending time with TV has gone up anywhere between 10 and 25% and particularly on connected TVs during this time. Huge, um, huge, huge differences pre and post. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And those, those have outlasted the, the lockdown period as well. Yes, exactly. Well, well, uh, and, and certainly this, um, yeah, so some of those behaviours are here to stay. And I think some of those contexts are very much here to stay in terms of the attribution. I think the important thing is about that data we're looking at is that we know that that attribution um, is a shared equity from the media environment to the advertising within that environment. So an advertiser will pick up on timeliness or trustworthiness or connectedness as well. So there's very much a, a link between your advertising and the environment that it's in. It actually very much a shared equity phenomenon. I'm just wondering what uh, channels have been effective then during during lockdown. Um, is there anything that you've seen or, Kath, Ellie, I'll open it up to you. Anything first from you, Peter? Um, look, I, I would be um, cautious enough to say that everything is can be effective. <laughs> um and um, and and I think the the advertisers that have that have really um, I guess leveraged that that effectiveness are the ones that have been the most authentic and the ones that have tuned into that environment the best because it, it all works. It's a question of to what degree, and so it's about how, how you get more blood out of the stone and how you leverage the environment you're in. Yeah. Yeah, Kath, what have, what have you seen? Um, I don't want to be biased, but I will say email marketing continues to be marketer's <laughs> best friend. Um, it's easy to connect with customers when you send comps out. Um, and even though we're seeing like um, a rise in sense, people are still engaging with emails because everyone's on their inbox every day. And um, I mean, you guys are probably have your Gmail open in one tab, so... Yeah, I think um, you check your email okay. something like 76 times a day or something like that. I think Adobe found. Yeah, for sure. Um, organic and paid Google ads are still effective just because everyone's online. And the other thing that we found is referrals. So word of mouth has increased as well for us um, and for everyone as well. It's because, as Peter was saying, brand trust 
um, and that genuine connection with each other has risen during this time. So, yeah, so we're actually in the process of develop, developing a, a, a proper referral program to let our um, customers sort of be advocates for a brand. So, Awesome. And Kelly, what, what have you seen? Um, we're definitely seeing our... Yeah, we're definitely seeing our social channels working more effectively, which is really good, um, particularly Facebook and Insta for us. Um, we actually turned off Google AdWords for a month during COVID, and that's a business owner's best dream. <laughs> wow, um, how did that go? So, um, so that was a supply and demand thing. We just had to turn it off. Um, so, um, so that was really, really brilliant. Um, and the other thing that we've seen in particularly in our UK market, because we're a newer brand in that market versus Australia where we're more established brand. Um, we've seen a lot more brand discovery. So what I've seen people spending more time is searching and discovering new brands. So I've found because they've had more time on their screens, um, we've mm. found that to be more effective, but mostly discovering us through channels. So um, that's yeah. been really interesting. I think I, I read an article not so long ago talking about COVID-19 and equating it to a life event like getting married or, oh, yeah. or, um, or divorce or uh, moving or a child uh, in terms of it opening you up to new experiences. And I think the um, people being able to discover new brands during this time is definitely one of those um, mm. that, that we'll see coming out of the other end as well. Um, mm. We're a lot more open right now. Yeah, I think so, definitely. And that's exciting um, for everyone. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Um, are there any, Peter, we mentioned about kind of time of day um, that we're seeing uh, things change in terms of how people are responding. Have you got any further information on that? Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I mean, that's um, sort of like a sub, a sub, a sub uh, chapter, if you like, of my favourite sort of context um, story. Like, there are so many layers to the onion, and time of day is a massive layer that that can influence and add positively or negative. Um, what well, couple of the examples that I've got on on those slides? I think there's one. There's an example of what work that we did with the digital out of home guys, um, and we were looking at various categories. Um, same ad but put in the day versus the, that same ad in the evening. And, uh, and um, I believe that, that, that the out-of-home guys actually know what, what sort of categories that, that consumers are more receptive to in the morning than they are in the evening, you know, beyond just the obvious coffee in the morning and alcohol in the evening. So you're seeing a, um, an ad for Expedia there, just a bit of, bit of stimulus um, in the morning at, at a tram stop and in the evening. And... Um, I guess the perfect, yeah, there you go, the tram wishing by at night, tram wishing by at the day. And what we found is that there was a 20% increase um, or, you know, your ROI or your effectiveness in terms of your your um, sort of memory uh, and your engagement was 20% higher when the product actually matched the time of day. So there's a real, it was the first time, again, a lot of this is intuitive, and I think the next slide is probably one of the most intuitive ones where you've got something like a, um, I think a Smirnoff vodka advertising at night and the catch line is late night, you know, so, um, or home late tonight or something like that. So of course, that's a, that's a uh, completely tuned into the environment, but that as opposed to in the morning has, uh, has actually quite a lot more than 20%. So if you're wondering if it's worth the, your effort and actually, um, I know the digital out of home guys now are saying, "Hey, you've got to use the medium for its for its you know its its nimbleness and and it's a you know you can tune into the temperature, the time of day, time of year, the day of week, 
um, it's worth it because it looks like even time of day um, produces a 20% higher effectiveness for you as an advertiser. 20%, you know, it's not it's bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, Kath, what have you seen in the email marketing space? Yeah, so um, as Peter was saying, we as people started working from home, time of day and day of week kind of blurred together. So we've right. definitely seen some traction with um, engagement from email marketing outside of the nine to five. So usually um, pre-pandemic, people would check that or open their emails at about 10 a.m. Um, and then they would check it around lunchtime and around 2 p.m. during their coffee break or what have you. Um, and then some in the evenings. But we've noticed like during lockdown, um, we're seeing engagement earlier in the day. So like around 8 to 9 a.m. Um, and then after lunchtime, it remains high um, throughout the day. And then there's a spike at 6 p.m. for some reason. Um, I think it's because when you're working from home, people tend to self-manage their time as well. So you have your own breaks. Um, and when you have, you finish your job, then you're done for the day kind of. Um, but yeah, that's what we found. And, um, generally we've seen an increase in convert, uh, click through and open rates as well. I think it's because even though there's a lot of comms going out, people, were hungry for COVID-19 related content. They want to stay informed all the time. So they're clicking and opening every email that has that headline. Um, yeah, so. Um, what, what kind of tools do you use to, to work out what's, what's going to work with people? Is there anything that, that you can pass on to people in terms of tips of? Yeah, definitely. So, um, I like to say we've got a, a, a slim, but efficient marketing tool stack. I think, I think it's better if you go simple rather than overwhelm yourself with a bunch of different tools and a bunch of different data. Um, so the first one that we use in a, is an attribution software, uh, which is super useful for us to make quick and informed decisions based on data. So, um, I'm sure everyone here has, uh, Google Analytics, um, enabled, I hope. Um, but, that wasn't enough for us. So with attribution, you're able to get um, a visual representation of your customer journey. Um, so you can easily pinpoint which channels are working, which campaigns need tweaking. Um, and so you can really refine your customer touch points as well. Um, and the one we're using is called Attribution App. With that, you can really um, even go granular and, and pinpoint an actual account and see which touch points they did or which actions they did before converting. So that was being really helpful for us as well. Um, and, and the next one is um, a share of voice tool, which um, helps you set benchmarks for your organic and social share of voice. Um, it's helpful for us because share of voice is one of the biggest drivers of sales. So it's an important metric to measure, but I think people forget about it. Um, and without a proper tool in place, it's a very manual process. So um, personally, we use Awario, but there's also Hootsuite Insights. I think um, Sprout Social has the same tool, but they do the same thing. They, they crawl your social social platforms and they crawl public pages to see who mentions your brand and it benchmarks it with your competitors. Um, and it really helped us um, see which of our um, competitors are spending less and it gauges how much we need to spend on our brand advertising as well. So um, we've used both of these tools to guide our strategy, but also I think it's really helpful for um, for marketers to kind of justify or make a case for their marketing budgets as well. I know some people might be um, 
struggling to keep their budgets afloat. Yeah. I know it's, it's a bit of a knee-jerk reaction to cut your marketing budget. So if you have these tools in place, um, you can sort of say to your CEO, like, hey, these are the channels that we're working on. Um, these are, this is why we shouldn't um, retract spend. So, yeah. I've just had a, uh, a question come in um, from Bronwyn Clure. She's asking, um, wondering if there's any been any changes in during lockdown in terms of the best time of day to send EDMs. Um, oh, yeah. So I don't want to do a bit of a promo, but we actually have a tool online um, on our website. It's, it's free for public. You don't have to enter details or anything. It's just vision6.com.au forward slash metrics. Um, it tracks um, email marketing metrics for all industries. Um, at the moment, I think for May and June, Monday was the best time of day to send. Any, but, any time of day on a Monday or? I reckon in the morning or around lunchtime when there's more traction. But with with that tool, you can kind of pinpoint whatever industry you're in and see how people are engaging with with your email sends. But I also recommend A-B testing or split testing your um, send send times and day as well. Um, I think because people, we're starting to open up again, um, these trends might change. So just keep your pulse on how your customers are engaging in it and just test it with data. I think, and for, yeah. for yourself, Kelly, um, is there a mix of products that you've seen kind of change during COVID uh, besides a cheese hamper that we've seen? Yeah, that's right. We've been sell- selling a lot of cheese. Um, <laughs> uh, do you know what? Um, what we noticed was the sentiment of the messaging that was going out. So the first thing we saw as COVID hit were loads of thank yous and that was brilliant because people were helping each other. So we saw this really great um, sense of camaraderie and collaboration and and people sending appreciations. That was really brilliant. Um, So for us, we sort of see those sorts of trends um, and we're still seeing a lot of thank yous. We also saw a lot of companies um, trying to put that glue between their team by they couldn't get them together. So they would send something out and that was really amazing too. So um, they were probably the differences that we saw. Yeah. Um, we did see um, emails. We've kept up the same routine, so we've kept the same rhythm of those sorts of um, exercises in our business. But social, we saw a really big spike in ROAS. That was our biggest um, change that we saw. Is there any examples of kind of best practice with marketing, maybe not for your own brand but for, for another that you've seen during this time? Um, I have got, I've got one that I'd love to share. Yeah, um, go. I love the brand Who Gives the Crap, the toilet paper brand. And they yes. obviously had a lot of wind beneath their wings going into COVID <laughs> because it was such a hot demanded product that was selling. <laughs> but what I love about um, that particular brand is I love that it's a purpose-driven brand and I love the way they have fun with it. And so um, uh, that's, that's a brand who I think are really nailing it from a comms perspective because I think – um, as marketers, the most important thing we need to do is tell our story and tell it well. And I don't think I've necessarily nailed that myself. It's something we're always trying to improve on um, because sometimes I think we do things in an organisation or we just go about things. We're not very great at telling people how we do those things. And I think that's the art form of marketers, whether you're a service business or a product business, um, it's sharing those messages and doing it well. And I think that who gives a crap are doing it really well. So kudos to them. Fantastic. Peter, have you seen any 
examples yes. that you can learn from. In, in fact, Kelly, uh, my wife's just bought a load of uh, gives a crap, so I'd have to concur. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I agree. I think they're, um, you know, they uh, they they are a, a great example. But um, you know, getting back to that real authentic reason why, um, I think consumers have really sort of stopped to maybe just take take a little more time to think about why and the purpose and that, you know, and the reason for, um, and certainly the wastage and, you know, just being a bit more efficient. Um, you know, um, I, I think, um, overall, maybe if I just stand back a little bit, again, my personal view is we probably in terms of, and I'm probably thinking more here about sort of, um, advertising, marketing, creative and messaging. We, we probably overestimate the obvious things and, um, and we probably are going to underestimate the more nuancey things um probably because they are nuances and it's um but but those nuances actually probably will continue to change and end up amplifying out in a in a message in in major major ways um like you know for example i i think maybe if i could turn the question on its head the um the the sort of type of creative who i think aren't doing it that well uh, are the ones that end up looking like our display here like you know those sort of tiles in a zoom kind of call like it's just so obvious and um and everyone's doing it and so I, I i've seen so many ads but i couldn't tell you the brands behind them they just all kind of blur they they followed the herd so that probably be one i would say to caution against um and some of the, some of the guys that um you know like who, who gives a crap that have been truly authentic and purposeful i think have really have really as you said you know soared with the wind under their under their sails you know it's um that would be my take, Liam. Yeah. Yeah. Kath, anything to add there? Um, in terms of best practice, I yeah, wanna... the... yeah, go go for it. Yeah, I actually um one of my favorites is the St. Patrick's Day message from Guinness. Um, so what they did is they created mm. this ninety second spot called "We'll March Again" um to encourage social distancing. Um, I'll let the guys play a bit of a snippet for it, if that's okay. You know, this year things feel different. We've learned over time that we're pretty tough when we stick together. So what do you really need for some St. Paddy's Day cheer? A pint? Sure, we'll take one. Some corned beef? Yeah, if you're offering. Irish music? We'll sing along. A big parade? Don't worry, we'll march again. On St. Patrick's Day, we're all Irish. But let's not forget that every day we're all human. What matters is being with people you care about. Oh, thank you for that. Um, the reason why I like this is because it has something to do with alcohol. <laughs> I guess not. I'm just kidding. Um, it's because they focus on human connection and the community. Um, it's probably something that a lot of people are missing during the pandemic. Um, it's positive. It's uplifting. It makes you feel good. Um, and towards the end of the video as well, it, they said that they've committed $5,000 to support local communities who are feeling, feeling the impact impacts of the pandemic the most so it's not profiteering there's no sales pitch and to me at least it's it doesn't come across as virtue signaling um and it's because it's on youtube and all over their social channels it's very shareable and easy to consume content um so what they got from that was viewers said the video was highly genuine it's sincere um very likable and memorable um they saw their ad awareness score jump from 67%, I believe, and seven in 10 beer drinkers have increased purchase intent. So I think building up to what Kelly and Peter were saying, that goes to show that if your messaging is meaningful 
um, and you're connecting with your audiences in the right way in the right places, it will do wonders for your brand. Yeah, it's making me want a Guinness right yeah. now. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, look, if you if you haven't already, um, have a drink at, at home. Uh, panel members, if you would like to drink, have a drink, have a drink. Uh, if anyone's got a question as well, um, type it away. We've been getting a few in. Um, we'll wrap up with some of those as well. Um, Kelly, perhaps I can just come back to you. Uh, we mentioned at the, for, at the start that 94% of people on the internet um, have a smartphone. What have you seen in terms of uh, mobile traffic? How has that changed your business in the is it 15 or so years um, that you've been going? Oh, yeah, massively, actually. When I started out, we didn't have smartphones. I had a BlackBerry when I started Edible Blooms back in the day. Um, so, yeah, smartphones have um, made things very portable, um, very accessible. And um, I think it's really challenged us as marketers because just when we think we've got our mobile site sorted, a new feature or someone does something better and you've got to keep improving all the time. So, um, so I think um, mobile is like anything. It's just that you've got to keep raising the bar continuously. You're never the best. You've always got to keep improving. Um, but we're certainly seeing mobiles. We're seeing more um, early on there was a lot of traffic to mobile but less conversion. S-Top's always been our strong converter. Um, but we're seeing that gap um, getting smaller, which is really exciting. We always saw mobiles as the window shopping and the desktop as the purchase point. But we're now seeing a lot more um, purchasing on mobile, which is great. So for that shift as a market of putting all that energy into um, making things user-friendly for customers and easy for them is really starting to um, to make it easier and better for the company. So um, it's getting closer, which is good. Are you seeing um, the ability to, to monetize over other channels now as well? Um, so, for instance, Instagram, are you putting much weight behind other social channels and and being able to use it as an e-commerce platform? Yeah, actually, I did share with Liam the other day a really funny story about social because um, we were really early adopters to social. So I was trying to work out the year. I think we went, um, one of our marketing team members, really passionate about it and really had that authentic approach about content. Um, and it would have been 2008. And, in fact, Telstra did a case study on us about our use of social but then as an, I'm a very analytic marketer and so I'm trying to work out where our resource is the best placed and there was no return. There was no, like, I can put a, um, $10 on AdWords or $10 on social and I was seeing, you know, 10 times the response on AdWords and almost zero on social. So I actually pulled out of social very early on and I said, it's not going to work. So it's almost like saying the internet's not going to be a thing. <laughs> I was like, social is just not going to work. And I had to eat my words years later and we had to catch up really fast So, um, because everyone else then got a step on us. So um, I guess that's one of the things about being an early adopter. Um, at Edible Blooms, we love to try new technologies and we love new things early. And I think sometimes if you are the first on board with something new, there's a consequence with that because sometimes it's the second person on a new thing that does better. So anyhow, so social something we, we invest in heavily now, but um, social may seem like a lower cost, but when you actually add the resources you have to put into it as a brand, it's quite an expensive investment. So, um, and we do analyse that very carefully in our business because we have to, because we're a small business and we have to make every dollar count. So, um, but we are really seeing the rewards on social. So um, that has shifted, as has mobile. So there's yeah. been a few changes over the 15 years. And do you think there's any trends that we've seen uh from 
kind of COVID and lockdown that we're going to continue with in the coming months as lockdown restrictions are eased. Uh, Peter, you've been in Victoria where they've kind of come back in uh, a little bit with the with the spikes yeah. uh, of second wave activity with COVID. Uh, what do we think? Yeah, like um, look, um, I think within the within the context of um, marketing and media and how clients spend their money, um, I I really uh, I really do think that the, like some of the early feedback that we're getting from from our clients already is. Um, you know, there's going to be a really sharp focus on accountability, um, almost to Kelly and, and Kath's sentiment, like, you know, not, not really missing a trick as to where your money's spent. And, um, and you know, I, I guess we would hope um, that that means, you know, um, you know, a far more analytical approach to, 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 where, to where resources are spent, where your money is spent. So, so that whole issue of accountability, I think, I think is going to be, um, you know, quite a more of a laser beamed approach going forward um and we as a company would, would, would hope to be able to sort of meet that demand in terms of you know helping clients optimize their messaging um or, or their or their media context if you like um and making sure that it you know we we shorten the odds rather than the spray and pray model that may have been part of the pre-covid sort of luxury yeah Fantastic. And Kath, any anything from you in terms of what we're going to see outlast COVID? Yeah, I think the focus on brand storytelling will continue. Um, brands sharing their purpose and the narrative behind it. You know, um, customers are not just a bunch of dots and blobs on a chart. They want to see ads that evoke emotion um, and be able to see sort of the human behind the brand as well. Fantastic. Well, authenticity, I think, is, is something. Authenticity, that's, um, yeah. From, from, from every one of you tonight uh, about what you've done well yourself and you've seen a good reaction from, but also uh, those kind of best case scenario, best practice scenarios uh, that we've seen as well. Um, is there anything that you'd recommend to marketers to reevaluate during this time, Kelly? Um, <clears throat> sorry. Um... Um, I think the one thing we haven't touched on, which has become a, a bigger thing, is diversity um, and the Black Lives Matter movement because um, I think, and I'm seeing that from feedback from my own team, it's really important to them and what we do as a company to embrace that and being, they want us to, my team want us to be more vocal about what we're doing um, about diversity in our own business to make them feel proud of where they work. So again it's that what you're doing internally is putting a voice to it because I think that that's very important for brands moving forward so um and I did a quick wrap-up slide of my five tips and one being purpose which we've been talking about second environment we've been talking about the third is personalization where finding consumers are expecting it to happen quickly and easily so personalization of products becoming um in demand um diversity and then finally just being online people want to go from their mobile device buy have it delivered they want everything to be easy for them and i think they're going to expect a lot more to be delivered to their door than they ever did before yeah those expectations have really gone mm. up here yeah, and especially totally. if, um if your business wasn't focused on e-commerce or kind of been online before those expectations have definitely risen during during lockdown where everything is delivered to your door um, and yeah. luckily, sounds like you've been in a perfect position um, to, to be able to answer those needs throughout this yeah. time. 
We were, but I I can't tell you how hard my team have worked in the last few months. It's been yeah. a pretty epic effort across the board. Um, but I'm so proud of what we've achieved. And I think it's like anything you have sometimes a door opens and you have to run through it and you have to run really hard. Um and I think um but also while we were doing that, we were trying to bring as many people along with us, um, which was really important to us as an organization. Kath, I've had another question come in and uh, people have asked whether it's worth stopping to using COVID in the subject line now. Is that something you've seen? Are people kind of still using it? I imagine they did for the first couple of months. Mm -hmm. Um, Are people people sick of it now in terms of they see it in the news, they see it in the papers? You know, I think you just have to keep your pulse on how people are responding Maybe now is not the most appropriate time to use COVID in your subject line just because, you know, lockdown laws are being eased down. Um, And there's more of a focus in the Black Lives Matter movement, which I'm not saying that you should bandwagon off of. It's just, um, yeah, I I think if my, my advice, if anything, is talk to your customer success teams or actually talk to your customers and see how they're responding. Um, because they have intel on how your customers are actually responding with the messaging that you're putting out. So um, it, it depends on your business. If, if you're an essential service, you probably need that in the subject line. But if you're um, somewhere else, I think take it case by case. Like do, ask yourself if you really need that in the subject line for now or if you're um, – why why should your customers care if, if they're – if there's a COVID in your subject line. So yeah, that's the question I ask myself all the time when creating content. So um, I think Liam, what I've learned out of all this is that there's just no set and forget strategy. Is there um, like you've had to really be quick uh, and nimble and change. And as you say, Kath, sort of finger on the pulse mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and what may have been relevant two weeks ago clearly is not quite so, or maybe even offensive in two weeks time, you know, like, so you really can't afford to sit and forget. I, you know, I think yeah. nimbleness is the order of the day. Mm. Rely on um, data. <clears throat> yeah. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. One thing early on on our own customer-facing website, we had um, information about contact-free delivery and a lot of information about that. We've taken all of that off because people just are used to that now. So, yeah. um, so there's some of those minor things I think you can take away. Um, but I think Kath's point about the type of business you're in is really you have to be very careful. Yeah, for sure. Is there anything that you would recommend in terms of marketers uh, and how they change their approach as of tomorrow? If there's kind of one thing that you'd recommend. Is there anything from the learnings of the last two or three months? Kelly? Um, shall I finish on my quote that I had? Yeah, I had sure. A slide. And this is my favourite thing. It says... What got you here won't get you there. And that's about um, continual change. We will keep changing and what we're saying today may not be relevant even in two weeks' time. Um, that's the, the fast pace we're moving through at the moment, So, um, which I really like. I find it really challenging and enjoyable. So um, so I just think we have to – we're living in a, in a period of um, history that's changing super fast. It's never, there's never been so much change in a short space of time as we've had right now. So that's the challenge we've got ahead of us. Yeah, well said. Um, and yourself, Kath? 
Um, I think it's to make decisions slowly, look at your data sets and make informed choices rather than being reactive and acting based on assumptions. You know, everyone is saying um, you have to pivot and pivot quickly, but it's better to take your time and make the right calls while you're there. Yeah. So agility, but with consideration. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Data. I need data. <laughs> yeah. Yourself, Peter? Yeah, I think we all um, we all concur on on most of those themes. And my I, I had a, a list of five top tips to um, perhaps round this out. If the guys on the slides could throw that up, um, you know, uh, in in some way, um, a couple of these points um, that I want to make is um, uh, are golden rules that I've seen over the years that I, I don't think will ever change. Um, and um, in terms of um, you know my, my my big driver is um, if I was talking about advertising to marketers that that your your investment in creativity and your message is the single most important thing you can do as opposed to um, like in in raw terms you've got like an 80 20 rule like 80% of your money goes into 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 media 20% on creative i would turn that around in terms of the impact that's actually driven um so 80% Anywhere from 50 to 80% is driven by your creative alone. Uh, as Cass said, um, you know, the meaning and the emotion is just so important. And that's really the key thing that drives business, business outcomes. Um, please, please do consider creative w- with respect to how you can leverage context. So media is a powerful force, but tuning your creative into the context in which it's in will, will, will have, you know, that time of day payoff of 20%. Who wouldn't want 20%? Um, so, yeah, so, so tuning your creative to take advantage of that, something that everyone's mentioned, um, please find the most meaningful data and the most rigorous outcomes you can possibly do in terms of the correlations. Um, you know, um, I'm glad, Kelly, to hear that you changed your view on social and, you know, and despite all the evidence, you've got to keep changing. But, but do it, as Kath says, with, um, with the evidence. So... Don't be, um, don't be. I think, I feel, I like. It's um, please find the evidence um, and be, you know, be more accountable. Um, and one thing that I always kind of come back to is um, th- those guys that do well and punch above, punch above the um, the average seem to be always curious, always willing to ask a question. Um, so stay curious, please. And um, if any of the above four points appeal to you then all, all the better as well but um i think curiosity will um will keep us alive and hopefully if not keep us young you know it's interesting and, one of my yeah. former employers uh had a phrase that he used to use uh to be interesting you need to be interested and i think that that speaks to your curiosity point yeah very much so very much so and kath any any final tips from yourself Yes, so um, if you pull up my last slide, I think. Awesome. So my first tip is to be empathetic and be human. Um, If your messaging is authentic, it will stand out amongst the noise. Um, And the other one, uh, we just want to reiterate again, don't panic during a crisis. Make informed decisions based on data and not on fear. Um, We've seen time and time again in past recessions that if you pull back on your activities rather than look for those opportunities, um, you are going to find it a lot harder to recover. So just keep calm and um, let the data do the work for you. Fantastic. And Kelly, were there any others or 
have we already got one? covered thank you fantastic well look i will i will save your voice for you uh, if you. anyone else has any other questions um please fire them in now otherwise i think the the panel will be sticking around um for some networking afterwards uh, one last question from from myself uh, is there any kind of immediate change that someone can do to reevaluate what is and isn't working in their business tomorrow? Um, maybe, Kath, we can start with you. Um, I say besides the tools that I mentioned before, um, make the most of your downtime now. Um, start from the ground up. Look at your um, customer acquisition costs for each channel. Um, identify the channel that has the lowest ROI and then work backwards. Figure out where, where the holes are from um, in your bucket. Um, if it's not your copy or your offer that you're um, advertising, it might be your audience that you're trying to target. It might it might need some redefining as well. So, Fantastic. And Peter? Yeah, mate. Um, uh, I think uh, it, it glues together with everything we've been talking about, but I, I can't help but think that, um, that marketers and advertisers need to hold their nerve. Um, which ties in with what we've been talking about. But holding your nerve, in my view, can only be done with the right data, the right evidence and the right business case. And the um, but kind of staying the course, um, as you say, Kath, um, a lot of marketers have just used this as an excuse to, or, or, or the CFO has just come and stolen the marketing budget and there's been nothing to defend it. Um, I've read a, I read a stat, um, I think it came out of winning and losing in recessions that, in two or three years' time, only 20% of marketers now will, will be will will be will be benefiting from holding their nerve now. So you know uh, that's that's a, a pretty sad story. You know, only 20% um, have got the conviction and the business case and the nerve to to see it through, um, rather than just see their funds disappear and and you know and stop advertising in a recession. Like we've all heard the story, but I just think that's so important to um, be able to know that half of your investment will pay off next year, not now, you know, and using the right, the right business case to, to, to protect that, I think is just so important. So hold your nerve. I think the, the stats around, I think brands that stopped advertising before the, or during the GFC took them nine times as long to kind of get back up to those levels and a Kantar uh, research study. That's uh, right. any, anything from yourself, Kelly, about uh, what marketers need to reevaluate or what you've been reevaluating in your own business? Um, I think something that we've found really useful, and sorry about my voice, um, <clears throat> is, um, and particularly in service businesses, because that's where I worked before I started Edible Blooms, is asking people how they heard about you and having a short list of those sources and tallying up the results. It's a really simple marketer's question that we often don't ask, mm. um, particularly when you're getting phone leads and things like that. So if you can actually gather that information, it's incredibly helpful. Um, but I really agree with Peter. I think marketers need to hold their nerve and business leaders need to hold their nerve through these periods. I think it's incredibly important. Kelly, thank you for all of your efforts with, with a sore voice. Uh, <laughs> Kath, Peter, thank you very much. Uh, it's been fabulous. I hope that everyone else has found it equally as enjoyable. Um, let us know your feedback. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. We'll be back again soon.